Tonight we're going to start somewhere different, and what we will mention, I'm going to have to just give you a complete run-through. I'll do it from mostly memory to where we're going somewhere different tonight. My hope, my prayer, would be that not only Christians tonight, whether it's here or watching online, that we would see the sovereignty of God, God's sovereign hand in the affairs of men, but that if someone isn't saved, they will see God foretold this. And the word of God is truth. Thy word is truth. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 8, please. Daniel chapter 8. So I said we'll run through some of it. Um, just It will be quite quickly because we have so much and we want to try and finish tonight. This is our fourth part, and each part was an hour, an hour each, round about there. So um, to do another hour, I could do many hours, but it's just, I think it's time we move to something else then. Bless God. Daniel chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 1. <clears throat> In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass, when I saw that I was at Shushan, in the palace which is in the province of Elam, which I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river Aram, which had two horns. The two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand? But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he, and he came to the ram that had two horns which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And that waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it came down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. 
Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word encourages us. Your word challenges us. Your word convicts us. Your word leads us and guides us and the entrance of thy word giveth light. You illuminate us by your word, Father. We thank you for the day and the hour that we were illuminated by the gospel preaching of the word of God. Now we beheld the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, beheld him on the cross, beheld our own sinners guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinners, and realized our need of a Savior, realized our inability to save ourselves, for you had woken us from death, and now you would bring us unto life. Father, thank you for your blessed Spirit, the Holy Spirit who has brought us to the place of repentance, illumination and regeneration. We thank you, Father, tonight that many of us here are found saved, secure in Christ and ready for his second coming. That no matter what comes in these days and weeks and years, should your son tarry, the days that lie ahead, Father, we know that we are ready to meet the Lord in the air. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for saving grace, for your keeping power. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the blood that shall never lose its power. We thank you for that blood still avails tonight to cleanse every sinner that turns unto him. Oh, Father, we pray tonight that this would be a night when people would see their need of Christ. And others, Father, would see the soon coming King and be ready. That your people, the Christians, would be, Father, up and doing. Challenge, Lord, to reach out. To reach out and prepare our nation and the people in our own families and society. To let them know that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I bring this congregation to you. And I bring myself and I ask you, Lord, will you shut each and every one of us in with thine own good self? And would you speak to every heart in whatever measure and in whatever way you deem it fit? And give us teachable spirits. And Lord, that we might leave this place built up upon our most holy faith. That we might leave this place more prepared, looking for the coming of Christ. We ask it in his worthy name, Father, and for his glory alone. Amen. In our previous uh, nights, we had shown you some slides, or I don't know if you call it slides, and I PowerPoint shows my age, and I come in, I call them slides still, but they are a PowerPoint. And when we've seen this, we have showed you these to get a, 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 an idea of where we are tonight in prophecy, but to bring you away back before the birth of Jesus, away back into Babylon, and away back before that where we started. And so we looked in how in 1 Kings, you can write it down or just watch the, the, the videos or on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever. But we looked how Israel was separated into two kingdoms. 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 12 tells us about uh, the, the Lord sending the prophet Ahijah. And Ahijah t 
takes Jeroboam, a young man's coat, and rips it in 12 pieces, gives 10 to him, and says, because of Solomon's sin, that when Solomon's son Rehoboam is born, the Lord will rend the kingdom. They become two kingdoms, as the picture shows. They become two kingdoms here. The house of Israel in the north, and the house of Judah in the south. Two, two capital cities, Samaria and Judah. Two lines of kings come out like Ahaz, Jezebel, from Samaria, the capital city, from the northern kingdom. And from the southern kingdom of Judah, we have more good kings, although not all good kings. Uh, we have kings like Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and, and so on. And so these are separated, but because of their sin, God sent the prophets. For example, to the house of Israel, he sent uh, Elijah and he sent Elisha and he sent Amos and he sent Hosea and other prophets. And he says, look, Turn from your sin because God is going to judge you. Turn from your sin and they wouldn't. So they thought they'd get away with it. And at a time of their prosperity, when things seemed to be going good, God sent forth the Assyrian, not the Syrians, but the Assyrian army under uh, a king called Sennacherib. And Sennacherib came and after some conquests in and out, he took them away captive over a period of years. Now, I have a little correction to do with you. Uh, this evening in our part one, I give you wrong details. And I know many, all, maybe all of you, if not most of you, uh, haven't realized it, but I want to keep me right. Just I want to make sure I'm telling you the truth. And I had given you a detail of dates, what is known as the seven times punishment of Israel. We'll show you a little later on. But in 721 BC, Samaria, the northern capital was taken, finished. And sometimes you'll read in the prophecies, oh, Samaria, you read about uh, Ephraim. You read about Joseph. It's all speaking in prophetic terms now. It's all speaking of the northern kingdom and their capital city in Samaria. So the Assyrians come and carry them away. Around 120 years later, the Babylonians come and they take away the kings of Judah and the house of Judah. And the house of Judah go westward and they go into Babylon. Now, here are, is a map of their captivities, the house of Israel in the red and the house of Judah in the blue. There is 120 years between these captivities and there's a roughly about 500 or more miles between the captivities. So many think they joined together, but really they didn't because they started going up through the Caucasus Mountains and westward. So we see, we notice the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, the Franks, the Burgundians, the Alamey, uh, and we can go on. And we mention these later on because they attack Rome, and Israel become all of these other names, Angles and Saxons, Dukes, and so on, Norsemen. They lose their identity, they become pagan, and they are then lost. Notice, here is a dream from the house of Judah, the southern kingdom being carried away into Babylon. Remember, in Babylon, Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, ye we sat down, ye we wept when we remembered Zion. And that is... Uh, that is them in Babylon. They're saying, and we can't sing the songs of Zion. We're away from the temple. We're away from the city of God. And we hang our harps on the willow trees. And so Nebuchadnezzar is the king who carries away the house of Judah and Jerusalem. Notice he has a dream. Daniel is sent for. He tells him what his dream was. Then he interprets his dream. And he's seen something like this. A man with a head of gold, arms. Notice two arms in the chest there of silver then the mid-rift of brass, then the iron legs, 
and iron and clay feet and toes. And this is what he says. We can't read it, but you'll find it in Daniel chapter 2. And after telling him the dream, he says unto him, O king, thou art this head of gold. So this is the Babylonian king and the Babylonian empire of Nebuchadnezzar. He then tells him another kingdom inferior will come, but overtake which will be the silver kingdom. So these are kingdoms that last throughout the periods of time, from Babylon right through to the iron and clay feet. We remember when the Lord Jesus, he was in uh, the Holy Land or Canaan Land, the land of Israel, when he walked around Galilee and Samaria, we find that he was at this part. This is when this pagan Roman Empire was. They are the legs of iron, the pagan Roman Empire, the Caesars, Pontius Pilate, all around this, these legs of iron. And of course, this brass was the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. So you see the empires are taken over and taken over and taken over. Now it's very important because here from the head of gold, all of the traits of the mystery Babylon religions come down through this because we are told in Daniel chapter 2 that these pieces are broken together. Yet in time, 700 to 1,000 years has passed right throughout these kingdoms. So there was Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, then Rome. And then this brings us right down to where we are now because look, we have the second coming of Christ. He sees a stone cut out without hands. In other words, it's not man-made. It's the kingdom of God is not man-made. Kingdom of God is made through the blood of Christ. It's made through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. It's not man-made. And so it smashes the image, notice, on the feet. So we are here. We're living at the time of the feet of iron and part of iron and part of clay. Christ returning smashes all this. So all this wickedness, all of these kingdoms, all of this false religion is right to this very moment tonight. Now I notice this also. The feet of iron and clay, we looked at it in great detail. We see, uh, we, we have looked at how Daniel has a dream in Daniel chapter 7. And he sees, oh, pardon me, he sees these. He sees a lamb with wings. He sees a lopsided bear with three ribs in its mouth. A four-headed leopard with four wings. And he sees a beast, can't mark, work out what it is, with these ten horns. Now let me just run you through it. I said we've done three nights on it, so I can't do it all in detail. The head of gold is Babylon. This represents Babylon. We showed you the scriptural apologetics for that. And then this is the Medo-Persian, the two arms here. This is a bear. This isn't a very good uh, rendering of the bear, for it's meant to be lopsided. Speaking of the Medes and the Persians that would come, which is a coalition government that came. The Medes and the Persians. Okay, so Darius the Mede, Cyrus the Persian. And then Cyrus the Persian, he starts overtaking in the scripture. He starts overtaking the Medes then. And the Persians become uh, more prevalent in the land. So they have, so this is the two arms represent the lopsided bear. We showed you about the, the ribs and stuff. We haven't time to go into this. Then we come to here, the four-headed leopard speaks of swift dominion taking over the land. Ten years, within ten years, Alexander the Great, this represents here, it's the same. This represents here, in 10 years, Alexander the Great overtook right through to uh, Parthia, to Pakistan, right into India. And with swiftness, he done, I think he died, if my memory serves me, about 31 or 33 years of age. He was a young man. And he took over right down into Africa, and of, of course, going more a little towards the west also. 
But then that brings us down to, pardon me, I'm getting this wrong here, to the legs of iron, which was pagan Rome, the Caesars. And here we have this great beast. You see, it starts taking a form that nobody can explain. Ten toes, ten horns. Now, we're going to look at this part in a moment, so spare with me. Ten toes, ten horns, okay? This beast, you'll read in Daniel 7, has iron teeth, iron legs to iron toes. So it all represents, difference is, this is how man sees himself glorious. Aren't we wonderful? We don't need saved. We're all right as we are. This is how man sees himself. Sure, I'm I okay. Didn't I once walk up an island? Didn't I once put up a hand? And didn't I once say a prayer? Listen, brother, listen, sister, if you know someone like that, you need to really confront them with the gospel of Christ to see where they are with Christ. Because man sees himself that he's not a sinner. Notice, oh, you're so glorious. It's man's pride. We heard about pride this morning when Aaron was speaking about Lucifer in heaven. You can watch that and download that too on, online. And so because of this, the Lord shows Daniel what he sees mankind like. And this is what he sees them like. Beast-like. Sinful. You see the difference now? So, here we have the Medo-Persians. This is just another rendering of it of Daniel 2. Right down to the... We looked at the Papal Roman Empire coming out. And then we looked at the... Out of the pagan Roman Empire, we looked at the people coming out, and then we looked at how it goes further than that. Becomes mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the whole earth. We brought you into the book of Daniel. We showed you how all of these things were the beasts coming out of the Sea of Daniel and the European Union. So what did we see in the European Union? Let me get there. Look at this. This is where we finished. Notice ten rings, ten iron rings, ten toes. Ten horns, remember? Ten iron rings. This is outside the headquarters of the European Union. The woman riding the bull or the beast. We see it again on the coins. This is the woman Europa riding Zeus, the pagan god and deity, on the European Union coins. Look, there's more. See this? And there's European Union there. There's the woman from Revelation riding a beast. And, she's all, and the beast is all of these horns. She is a harlot. She is a whore in the book of Revelation. When you get to Revelation chapter 17, you'll find that there's judgment on ecclesiastical whore and all the abominations that are with it. In other words, the ecumenical movement. We've seen some of the pictures of the ecumenical movement. You see it? We've seen the pictures of it. And so because of this, we now find that the Lord in, uh, in, in Revelation 17 says, Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots. And it says, Babylon the great hath fallen, hath fallen. Now I notice this isn't just about the Roman Catholic Church. These are all religions of the world. And again, there's the Archbishop of Canterbury, the so-called uh, Protestant minister, who is the minister to the Queen. So when we looked at that last week, we realized that he is what is known as, this is the European Union officials here. Here he is meeting them again. There's Jean-Claude Juncker. There's Angela Merkel. You see that? It was signed in 1957. It was called the Treaty of Rome. 
And the place where it was signed, we told you, we told you where it was. It was the temple of Jupiter. And the place of the temple of Jupiter, in Rome, you have Jupiter. The equivalent of Jupiter in Greece was Zeus. Zeus was the god who, uh, the supposed god, who disguises himself in Greek mythology and takes a young princess woman away from where would be Lebanon today. Um, and he takes her from there to Crete and he rapes her. And it's Zeus disguising himself as a bull or a beast. And so it becomes known as the rape of Europa. Zeus is the chief god who says he is God when he's Antichrist then. And then, of course, Jupiter is the Roman equivalent of that. Europa means the broad face of a thing. Up, Europa means the eye of one. The eye looking over the broad face, the, this all-seeing eye. Do you see what we're in, what we need to come out of, brothers and sisters? Are we all aware of this? Are we all aware of this? This is just the tip of the iceberg with it. So, we looked at that last week about the woman would be dressed in purple. Purple, 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 scarlet. So then, when we go back again, just let me go back here. Yeah, there's that, and it's known as the little horn from Daniel 7 and verse 8. There's another horn comes out, and this is Daniel 7 and verse 8, okay? So that's the little horn of the West, the little horn of the West. Tonight, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 8. Why? Because it brings us to here. It brings us to this time here, here. Well, you may say, well, why not move here for we're already done there? Because we're going to look at this and another branch that comes out. And that other branch that comes out shows us Islam. Okay, shows us Islam. For example, in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 9 says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. Now, what we have to remember here is when we're looking at this, this is us now reversed back in time, the Medes and the Persians. And then we have, of course, Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. These two are the two that are fighting in Daniel chapter 8. When you read the rest of the chapter, go home and read it. It tells you who they are. For example, the goat with two horns, one is more prominent than the other, is the Medo-Persian. Remember the two arms? The lopsided bear, Darius the Mede, Cyrus the Persian, and then the Persian comes more forward to dominate more in the coalition government. Well, this is the same in Daniel chapter 8. This is who they're speaking of here. Speaking of here, this is the arms and the silver and the, the bear, the lopsided bear, is the Medo-Persian kingdom. Then we see a, a ram that comes. The ram comes from the west. Notice, so the ram's coming from the west, the, the goat is coming from the east to the west, and the two of them clash together. A notable horn comes out of the ram. A notable horn. That notable horn is Alexander the Great himself. That's what it represents. Let me just get you a little picture to show you. See here? So here is the ram with the two horns, and this is the 
the goat with the, or the ram, pardon me, the, with the one notable horn. And later we're told then, look at Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 and verse, and verse 7. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with collar against him and smote the ram and break his two horns. Notice, break his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Let me tell you what's happening then. This large horn, pardon me, this, this goat, not the, the large horn of the goat is broken. What is that? But Alexander the Great died. It's when he died, young age, in his 30s. He had smashed against the other kingdom, which was the ram with the horns, smashed it down, which brought us then, remember, into the brass kingdom came forward. That was Alexander the Great. Here he's seen now as he dies, the horn breaks off. And when the horn breaks off, four notable horns. Why notable? Because there's something to take note of. As simple as that. And what does he mean? Okay, stay with me. The four notable horns came and they became... Let me just show you. Four heads here. Remember? Last week, the four heads were what? Four generals who ran... Alexander the Great's army. So they're the four notable horns after the death of Alexander the Great. Is everybody with me? Okay. So these horns are now, uh, uh, these four notable horns are now prevalent. They represent the four heads of the leopard. The four wings, what does it represent? Well, it represents this. The four generals took up four parcels of land or out of the kingdom. There's a general, Lysimachus, he took this, Cassander took here, Ptolemy took here right into, look past Jerusalem, right up to Syria. And then we have the Seleucid Empire. And does it tell us anything else about this? Well, it does. It tells us which way they went. Look at Daniel chapter 8 and verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. And that waxed great even to the host of heaven. And they came down some of the host of, and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. What on earth could that mean? Let me just uh, simplify this the best I can. So these kingdoms are set up by his four generals. They're the four horns or the four heads of the leopard. So these are the four wings you see on the leopard. The four kingdoms are areas, territories. Ptolemy here goes right up. Here Seleucid comes right the whole way down, right over Jordan here. And so the whole of the Holy Land is engulfed and surrounded by what is, at this time, the Grecian Empire, now split into four. But remember, it's all the peoples who live there are under their dominion. So here we find it, that they come along toward the, 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 the east and toward the south. Look, right over to here. But then it says they go toward the Pleasant Land. What is the Pleasant Land? It's the land of the book. It's the land of the book. It's the land where, listen, remember the house of Judah and the house of Israel were carried away from? 
they were carried away from the pleasant land. So they come down to the pleasant land and they start then into the pleasant land where they then start to hold the people in a stranglehold, as it were. Now, this is also prophesied by the Lord Jesus Christ and spoken of until his return. I'll show you in a moment about this. So the pleasant land is Canaan land. The land to the, and the yellow of Seleucus is, you see, Persia, which was Babylon, Iraq, where it is today. And then you have the Holy Land. Now, there's a little horn comes out more notable in the Ptolemaic uh, Empire, the Green Empire, you'll see. That little notable horn rises up in history. And it was known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, it was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And Antiochus means God manifest to you. That's what his name meant. Antiochus Epiphanes comes and he means God manifest or the illustrious one, I am Antiochus. That's what his name means. So you can see even the, the enemy of the soul. You can see the enemy of God's people. You can see the devil working behind us, can't you? I am the illustrious one. We heard this morning about the devil. About the devil saying, I want to be like God. I want to take the throne. Antichrist spirit, anti-God spirit. Now notice this. Antiochus Epiphanes, this is known in history now. He outlined, outlawed, pardon me, all of the Jewish or Judaite rites to the temple. He abolished circumcision. And he set up idols. He poured pig soup over the altar of the temple. And then he ordered the Jews to worship who? Zeus. Zeus. Remember Zeus? Remember the one, the woman rides the beast? The one who is in the European Union? The one that comes up through, right through the little horn of the West in Papal Rome? into the European Union and all the things to do with the European Union and all the, the, the monetary system, the banking system. The same Zeus. Well, he says, Zeus is God and you're to worship him. And so what happened was that uh, Antiochus Epiphany stole temple treasures and he put a big altar up to Zeus and says, this is where you worship. Now, there was a revolt and when the people revolted, there was a great slaughter that he and his army killed many number of Jews there. And the revolt started, and it was called the Maccabean Revolt. You can actually, if you have your Bible, we all have a Bible, but if you get the Old Testament, then there's that gap from Malachi to where we have Matthew's Gospel. 400 years. Well, in that period of time, this happened. And then John the Baptist comes. And you can read about the, the Maccabean Wars. In fact, in what is known in the middle of that, it's not, we don't hold it as, as it's inspired, but historically you maybe get some things out of it, which are quite good. And you have the Wars of the Jews, or the Maccabean Wars. First and second Maccabees, you have Esdras and, so, and things like that. And those writings are in the middle, and it's all about this type of thing that happened. And so you had the Maccabean War, they revolted, and there was one 167 BC was the revolt to 160 
Now remember, when you're in BC, the numbers get smaller going towards naught. When you're in AD, they get bigger. That's why we're going the other way. I'm not making a mistake this time. So it's about seven years of war. And at this time, you find then there's a man who raises his head and he's a champion of the people. And this man is called John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus, uh, he was a high priest in Jerusalem, but he also became known as the king priest in Jerusalem. He was a warrior priest. Now, under his reign, Judea prospered, and it became known as a Hasmonean, Hasmonean kingdom. Okay, the Hasmonean kingdom. And the Pharisees that you read in the New Testament that hated the Lord Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees became prevalent then. They became uh, not only religious, but they became political wings and political parties then. And this is before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But John Hyrcanus went in the wars and he defeated uh, Samaria, which would have been that city where the northern house of Israel used to be. And then after that, he defeated what was known as Idumea. And Idumea are Edom, or from the line of Esau. Remember, if you go way back, and you're here every week, you go way back to part one, it says Solomon loved many strange women. And he started uh, marrying women of, one of them was of Edom, Edomite woman. That's from Esau who threw away the birthright, remember, in the book of Genesis. And God had an aggression against them because they hated his birthright. And that has been a battle right up to this day. Now notice, the Idumeans were Esau or Edomites. And John Hyrcanus, I'm afraid he made a big mistake. He forcefully converted the whole lot of them to turn to Judaism. He forced them. Now here's the thing. If you're trying to force someone to follow Christ even, you can't. They must be born again. They must be born of the Spirit. And anyone who says, well, you know, we, we, we'll try this out, just forget about it, because you try Jesus out, you're not going to like him. And you're not saved. So same, he says, I want you to worship, and they forced them, these Edomites, to worship at the temple. Now, when the temple was reinstituted, we have what's known as, and I want you to listen carefully to this because this is important as well. We have what's known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah was a rededication of the temple. And listen, as good as that was, because Christ had to come yet, as good as that was, you know what the problem became? Hanukkah comes from a word from the Babylonian Talmud, Hanukkah. And it's part of the mystery religions of Babylon. You know what happened? That came into the worship of the temple. And excuse the pardon the word, but this is a strong word, but it's the truth. They bastardized the true Hebraic Israelite worship. And then we find not only that, but John Hyrcanus has now got these Edomites to start to worship. 
And it's like, as we told you, in pagan Rome, Constantine makes a profession of salvation. And he starts to bring in, to, to satisfy the pagan Rome, Romans, he starts bringing into what was then the early church in Rome. He started to bring in all these things of their pagan deities. That's why you get the sun burst round the heads of their, the saints and the pictures and the walls and stuff. That's the, the sun god Nimrod. That's why when you see them holding up the very host, the wafer host, and it's in what looks like a big sunburst. You, remember, you ever see the picture of them, the big sunburst? That's after sun deity worship from pagan days, from mystery Babylon the Great. It's all brought in and it's, it's mongrelized with the church. And again, now you find, in this, where we are tonight, you find that, that with all of this admixture coming in, by the time the Lord Jesus comes and we see him going around Jerusalem and walking around Canaan land and up around by Samaria and over into Galilee. Anytime he's talking to the Pharisees, he's calling them, what? Serpents. Vipers, hypocrites. Because they're not true Israelites. They have brought the Babylonian mysteries that he says, you're worshiping and you're looking to wash pots and pans, yet your heart, he says, is I'm paraphrasing, but your heart, he says, is black. It's sinful. That's what he's telling them. That's why Christ is saying this, because these, Jew, these uh, Jewish leaders now, they have become more sinful even than those like Israel of old, or those who were around them. We find that this m mistake by John Hyrcanus, you know what happens? Herod the Great comes from him. This Edomite king who had come in the jury says he is a Jew. He worships at the temple. He slaughters the babies. Remember? Under two years of age. That's why this is happening. And then his son comes, Herod Antipas, and he's the one who wants Jesus to perform some miracle trickery for him when he is being tried before he goes to the cross. Can you see the damage that's been done by this? And this goes right the whole way down. I don't mean to offend anyone, but this goes right the whole way down, right into it today. Notice this. <clears throat> We have the Lord Jesus speaking. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> Is everybody still with me all right? I know it can be a wee bit much for the brain when you don't know it or if you haven't heard it. I, I, I'm just used to it, but if you're still with me, okay. Luke chapter 21, and all we want to do is let your eye run down to verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. 
And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jesus said that, okay? So, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. What times? What is he saying? What does he mean? What times? Mark it. I'll just tell you about it. I'm sorry we haven't the time to go through it all. But Mark Leviticus chapter 26 down. Read it when you go home. And the Lord speaks to all of Israel before their separated kingdom. And he says, if you walk contrary to me, I'm paraphrasing, I'll walk contrary to you. And I will punish you seven times more for your sin. I'll punish you seven times more for your sin. So seven times. This is where I want to rectify, by the way, as well, what I'd said, the first one I'd got wrong in part one. When the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, Samaria, we told you, were carried away captive and ended up over the years went through the Caucasus Mountains and into Europe and forming our nation and then going over to the United States. And Listen, you tell me if this is coincidence or if this is sovereign will of God. In 721, I give you that date the first time, that's why it's wrong, so I'm rectifying it, okay? You can look it up and find me out if you want. In 721 BC, when that northern kingdom in Samaria eventually fell to the Babel, or pardon me, to the Assyrians, to Sennacherib, taken seven times. Let me show you how we work it out. One time. I'm not going to do seven because I'll get this thing. One time is 360 degrees. One time, 360. So if I'd done that seven times, and you multiplied it 360 by seven, you'll come out with 2,520. Okay? 2,520. When you take 721 BC, it brings you right down to the year minus naught, or one, pardon me, you have no year naught, so you have to go to year one, so you have to add a year. Then 1 AD, 2 AD, and so on. You keep carrying that down till you, till you ex, uh, 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 get right down through to the very end of 2,520 years. It's a day for a year, or a year uh, in, in prophecy. It brings you right to the year 1917. Just 100 years last year. In 1900. Pardon me, I'm giving you the wrong date again. I'm way ahead of myself. It brings you to the year 1776. Sorry, pardon me. I, I was wrong the last time with it. 1776, the United States of America, the first 30, 13 seaboard colonies. I'm trying to do it all off the top of my head and where I'm going next, so bear with me. And 13 seaboard colonies broke away from the United Kingdom. They formed a great Christian republic. And that started then, uh, the, the, that finished the, the seven times punishment of the house of Israel. Now stay with me. This is very important because it all comes together. When the house of Judah and Jerusalem were taken away eventually, we have a year given. And it's the year 641 B.C. 2,520 of their punishment brings you to the year 1917, okay? I see if you were to go to the year when Nebuchadnezzar was crowned 
and take it from then right through 2520. Do you know when it brings you to? It brings you to the year 1914, when the First World War happened. You might say, well, what's that got to do with it? That's when that punishment, the times of the Gentiles Jesus spoke about, was finished. The First World War happened. God took the peace from off the earth. During the First World War, it happened. They tried the Ottoman, Turkish Ottoman Empire. They ruled right down through the river Euphrates and into Jerusalem. They had it like an iron fist. Nobody could deliver Jerusalem. You know what happened? A, a, a general called General Belvoir, he had uh, read a book by a man called Henry Grattan Guinness. He is half of the Guinness family from Dublin, who, the Brewers. There's a statue to him outside Trinity College today in Dublin. You can see it. He was a great evangelist, and he had written two books, Light for the Last Days and another one called Approaching, The Approaching End of the Age. And he started working out all of these prophetic uh, uh, words and, and all of these prophetic numbers. And he realized that 1917 would be the deliverance year of Jerusalem. Now listen, he worked that out in 1888. He wrote the books. I've got them. You can go and get them. Well, they're hard to get, but you can get them. 1888. He wrote that whoever sees 1917 will see an epic time or an epoch of time and that they will see Jerusalem liberated because of the seven times punishment finishing for the house of Judah. General Belvoir in the second, First World War says to uh, General Allenby, will you go and liberate Jerusalem? And everyone had failed and came home with their tail between their legs. He didn't want to do it, but he had read these books, and Belvoir said to Allenby, read this. This is what the Bible says. Both of them were Christian generals. And they read it, and he went, I'm going on the Word of God. You're all right. You can say that here. Glennis, you hallelujah all you want there. You're all right. I'm going on the Word of God. And if you get, there's a little book, I don't know if you can still get it now, it's called The Land is Mine by Mary Hughes. She tells of all the bloodshed that's all around the Holy Land. I mean, the, the bloodshed is tremendous. When they get to Jerusalem, Allenby says, I don't want this city damaged. And he brings in number 14 bomber squadron, the little bi-wing planes that were in the First World War. And he sends them flying over Jerusalem and they're dropping leaflets telling the Turkish Ottoman Empire to surrender. Now, there's bloodshed everywhere. And he drops the leaflets, or they drop the leaflets, and these, these Turks see these great big planes of birds in the sky. They drop all their weapons and walk out and surrender to two little British corporals. Couldn't shift them from it. Here's the verse that Allenby trusted in when he sent over well, this is the verse and the teaching also, but this is the main verse. Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 5. You ready? Birds are planes over Jerusalem. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. He will preserve it, passing over it. Sent over the plains, there wasn't a bomb dropped, there wasn't a shot fired, 
and the Ottoman Empire surrendered. Now, where were they from? They were from those who had been scattered years before, come under the sound of the gospel, and came and built a great empire from that house of Israel. They came and liberated Jerusalem. Now, I see the sovereignty of God in that. I see the sovereignty of God. So we're going to come to a close in a moment. So thank you for your attention, but bear with me. So Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Notice this also. Luke chapter 21, please. Verse 29. So Allenby releases them, 1917. In fact, I have a wee photograph here somewhere. We went through all of those, sorry. We looked at that, the Quran and the Holy Bible is the same, Remember? looking for a new world order. You can see that next you can see that in last week's. Oh, there's the bankers. And listen, someone said to me, What about Israel there? Are feeding off the Rothschilds? The whole world's feeding off the Rothschilds. The whole world is. You can see even here the Shia and the Sunni dominated areas. Look, this is where these four generals were, isn't it? where the four generals were. And in the book of Daniel, a horn comes out. And this horn represented Antiochus Epiphanes, but then we find another horn comes up. Just let me show you this. There's it there. That's in the Ptolemaic Empire. That's the Ptolemaic Empire you've seen of those four generals are, where it became Islamic. So there's General Allenby. That's an actual photograph of General Allenby. I know it's a bit faded, but that's in 19... I may be a day out here, so forgive me, okay? I'm doing this off the top of my head. The 9th of December, 1917, he marched in the Jaffa Gate. He wouldn't ride in, he says, because the only one who'll come in as a king is Christ. There he is. This, these are actual photographs of this time. There he is. There's the planes. Number 14, Bomber Squadron. This is before there was an RAF. Number 14 Bomber Squadron had a metal, a metal struck up. I don't know if I got one of them, did I? Had a, a metal struck up. You know what it says? I spread my wings and keep my promise. That's what it says on it. Notice here, 1917. This was a coin of the very year that this happened. Notice here, 1917. Notice on the other side. Do you know what this is? That's the Arabic or the uh, numbers of their year. You know what their year was? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. We'll go to Daniel chapter 12. Just to lift out a verse. Verse 12. Daniel 12 and 12. I haven't time to break all this down. I don't, I don't want to... I'll end up boring you to death with it if I go on another lot of weeks. I'll tax you on it. Daniel chapter 12 and 12. Blessed is he that waiteth. Notice. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,335 days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days. Thy days. 1,335. Blessed is he that waits to 1,335, the year. You know what that is? 
That's the Islamic year, 1335. Do you know when that's taken from? 622 AD. What happened in 622 AD? It was the flight of Muhammad from Mecca to Medina. He came, even with all the Arabic people, and said, Oh, the great angel Gabriel visited me and showed me the things of God, and I'm the prophet of God. And they chased him. So he took it by the sword. That's how it started. And from 622 AD, we have 1335, which is what's known as the Hagira. The Hagira calendar is the Islamic or Asian calendar. And this year that Daniel prophesies of, Daniel 12 and 12, blessed is he that waits. What did you wait for? 1917, for the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. Can you not see God in this? Does anybody else see God in this? I get excited at this stuff. You know why? I see our, I see our Father in control. If you were to go on down Daniel chapter 8, it gives you another, another load of dates. But we can't go into it, but it's, it's a year. It's 2,300 years it comes to. And when you take the Seleucid Empire and the Potomac Empire, uh, and when they began around 321, you know what the year brings you to? 1918. Do you know what year that is? The finish of the First World War. And what happened was, Luke chapter 21, verse 29. Jesus speaking again, spake unto them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is now at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Notice his warning at this. Jesus' warning. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness and the curse of this life, and so that they come on you unawares. You know what Jesus is saying? See, at the end of time, this is going to happen. What is the fig tree? The fig tree is Israel in, 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 in the land of Canaan. It's the Jews, actually. It's actually, the, it, the, the fig tree, actually, if you go into the book of Jeremiah, speaks of good figs and bad figs, talking about the house of Judah being carried away. Jesus says the fig tree will come. And when the fig tree starts to spread again, and start to, it's showing leaves, but listen, no fruit. I know there's people there, and they're getting saved, but nationally, in a sense, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. You know why? Because there's many. And again, don't be offended at me. It's just the truth. There's many who come from an Edomite line. And there's those who are true Judaites. And only God knows that. Listen, see when the Lord talks about the tares and the wheat, we talk about it in church. And that's okay. We can do that. We can apply it to that. That's not the main thrust of it. He's talking about those in Israel and those that were sowed in to be like them. That's what he's talking about. So, I guess I must finish and I'll give you more than enough to think of. When we get...
too. Didn't think there was that many photographs, you know. <laughs> this is the horn that sprung up. The little horn of the east that sprung up. And this little horn of the east, you know what this represents to them? That Abraham offered up Ishmael. Not Isaac. It represents to them that from here, Muhammad ascended up with Gabriel. Where will we find these sort of things happening? Look, if you will, give me two minutes and I'll finish, okay? Give me two more minutes. Look, up, look with me, if you will. Um, look at Matthew 24. I want to show you these two horns mentioned by the Lord Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 26. Matthew 24, verse 26. Jesus said, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Muhammad was in the desert when he says he got these, these visions. If you want to know more about that, and I haven't time to go into that, read Revelation chapter 9 when you go home. There's a, a star falls from heaven. You spoke about it this morning. The Lord kicked Lucifer out of heaven. And he, just, he descends into the pit. And his name is Abaddon and Apollyon, which means the destroyer. See, he's come to destroy you. Come to destroy. This is the devil. And smoke, as it were, or visions start coming up out of the ground. And this is what Muhammad says. And so when we, when we look at this, it's already spoken of. It's out in the desert. And Jesus says, Behold, he's in the desert. Go not forth. Don't go after this. That's horn of the east that we've looked at. And then he says, Behold, he is in the secret chamber. Believe it not. And that is the horn of the west in papal Rome, where they, they gather together and they, they closet themselves off. And the only reason then anyone knows that there's been a new pope who has been uh, chosen. Here's a little thing I don't understand. Some, many, many people believe that the Pope is infallible, and yet men are choosing him. And the only reason you know is because there's smoke comes out of the chimney. <laughs> when he's in the secret chamber, it says, believe it not. Here's the two horns. Jesus tells us about it. Mark down Revelation 17. That's the fall of the whore. That is the ecclesiastical fall. Then when you go home, read Revelation chapter 18. That's the economical fall. That's the world banking system. And that's the, all you see around the, what's already had a shake a lot of years ago. Read that when you go home. And that's coming from, their, from the Edomite Jewish banking system, the Rothschilds and the Bilderbergers and so on. It's all going to fall. And then when you read Revelation chapter 19, you'll read about the political fall, the European Union, and all these things are trying to do. By the way, did you see what uh, the Prime Minister of Turkey said this week? He says he wants to gather the 57 Islamic nations and come against Israel. And this is what he says. We want to revive 
the Ottoman Empire again, a cross where it was stolen from us. So see that Ottoman Empire that God sent the planes over through Allenby to release them? He wants to reverse that. But listen, God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. You know, we're just touching, we're just touching the outskirts of this, and I could go on and on and on, and I've been an hour every night, and I want to thank you for your patience for it. But I want you to see in this that Christ said, no man knows the day and the hour when he's coming. But everything's being set in place, and you can see it. And that's why he died on the cross for you. That's why he died on the cross for me. That we would be saved, forgiven of our sin. Now, we might say, isn't that amazing that the Bible has told us, and that's only a part of it, that over these four weeks, so much in it that the Bible has told us all of this before it even happened. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it amazing to see our God is still on the throne, brothers and sisters? Well, here's the thing to the unsaved. It also tells you that you must be born again. And it's as real. It says that Christ is coming again. And if you're not saved, he said, Revelation chapter 20 talks about the beast, the devil that's in this. The beast and the dragon. The false prophet. is going to be cast into a lake of fire. Listen, and we would go, oh, we should hurry up and do it, God. We should hurry up and come, Jesus, and do it. And he says, and all those whose names were not written in the book of life. In other words, all those who are not saved. All those who are not trusting Christ alone. All those who have not been to Calvary's tree by faith and said, Lord, your blood was shed for me that I might be saved and forgiven. Every single person who's rejected him will be cast into the lake of fire. The word of God says it and it's forever settled in heaven. I trust you're saved tonight. I trust you're saved. But if you're not, and there's breath in your lungs to the end of this meeting, and God allows you in his grace to live, then there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. Come to Christ. Get yourself ready. Wednesday night, the ladies are, look, have all their dresses and all up, their wedding dresses up and all their wedding albums and all the photographs. And dear, dear, help us. See some of those photos, it's like a, it's like a, horror, horror, a horror picture show. <laughs> Talking about mine, by the way. My wife was beautiful. Is beautiful. <laughs> Talking about mine. But here's the thing, you know the whole theme of it is? It's not about women coming and showing their wedding dresses. It's to show people that Christ is coming and there's a bride to be prepared for her bridegroom. That's the idea of it. And let's put it, even though we'll act about it. See, when God looks at the unsaved in their sin, you know all he sees? A horror show full of sin. No matter how good you are. And that's how you're stand, and that's how you're judged. 
Are you saved? He's coming. Everything's shown it. Are you ready? I'll be honest, I'd love him to come right now. I've still unsafe family. But I'd love him to come.